cannot disappear. Maybe hit him high, but what else could he do? He can't disappear. In slow motion, it looks a little bit bad. But Accidents happen. They do. He's done his knees. Well, this is incredible. Now will come the magic sponge. There it is. No scissors, no tape. Just a dirty old sponge and it's worked. The sponge can wipe out a pandemic. It can cure us all. Yes, welcome back to the Magic Sponge Podcast, the miracle cure for all your rugby league injury issues. My name is Brian Sini. Most of you know me as the guy behind the NRL Physio social media pages. Look, James, uh, it was your birthday a few days ago. You've had a bit of a long lunch. You're coming in hot and you're back in today. How are you feeling? Brian, I'm going really good. I've ticked another year off the calendar there and... I actually had a fairly long lunch at a, at a place we know very well, which is Spices Tamarind, where oh. I got married and you were my best man in November 2018. So good memories bringing, bringing that one back in, but always a good good time there at Spices Tamarind, it, getting some good Monasian into my system and getting a few cocktails under my belt. So I'm pretty happy to talk to you on a Sunday night, mate. It's good. Mate, what an establishment. We'll just put that out there, Spices Tamarind. Anyone who's looking for a wedding venue, how about it? Yeah, Mulaney Hinterland's where you've got to be, mate. It oh. is tippity-top. Love it. Love it, mate. So as always, this is your one-stop shop for all things injury analysis in the NRL. We'll give you our take on the in-game injuries from the round just gone or the pre-season games just gone. Review the big injury and rehab news from those already in the casualty ward. But most importantly, we talk through the implications of certain injuries on things like recovery time, performance, and super coach scoring. So we're trying to be very, very super coach and fantasy-centric this season and all seasons, but really want to emphasize that that is where where the value of this kind of stuff will come from is talking about how long guys are going to be out for for those purposes, but also how they will perform when they're back. If you like this kind of stuff, head on over to patreon.com slash NRL physio. That is where you'll get all the most in-depth information on this kind of stuff you can get. We only really brush the surface here on the pod, um, and we've got a lot of stuff over there, really, really in-depth. Casualty ward incoming, I answer all questions over there, so yeah, it's good stuff. But otherwise, let's get stuck in to the pre-season, the final pre-season injury wrap. I don't know exactly what he's done. I would have thought it was an ankle, but I'm just guessing. He shouldn't be out for a long period of time. I'm I'm no doctor. We have to wait for the scans, obviously, but that'd be more positive than, than negative. Alrighty, Brian. Final game of the preseason before the real deal kicks off. So we'll go through things player by player mainly, but we've grouped a few people together that have had similar type of injuries. So firstly, we're going to talk about Sean Lane and Xavier Savage. They both sustained broken jaws, which are most likely looking like surgery. How long would you expect both of them to be sidelined for? Mate, Xavier Savage is going to be the longer one by the looks of things. Uh, broken jaws can be really quite variable. I think that's um, probably the first thing to emphasise and, and something that people might see me tweeting or posting and think that I'm trying to be vague, but broken jaws can just be really, really varied. So you can have like a little crack in the jaw and you're looking at, you know, three, four weeks. You can also have a significant, you know, multi-fracture, different locations, need surgery and, and require like 10 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks we've seen in the past. I think Xavier Savage, best case is looking at six weeks, but probably more likely around that eight-week mark. His is a bit more severe. Sean Lane did have surgery as well, but the 
sort of, I guess, inkling that I get is that it's not quite as bad. So the Eels might be hoping he'll be back around that six-week range. Uh, but, yeah, still, I mean, both of them missing a significant portion of that early season, which, yeah, creates a, a, an opportunity, I think, particularly Supercoach-wise, at the Eels there on the edge. Is there somebody you would think would take over that role, anyone you've got your eye on? I haven't really looked too much into it, Brian, actually. I wasn't sort of aware of Sean Lane's injury until you've just mentioned it before, but I was more interested in in terms of fractures and, I guess, severity of fractures. And I was talking to someone who I know from um, emergency on the Sunshine Coast here, and he's, um, I think his, his opinion is when there's blunt force trauma, there's a lot of times there's multiple fractures with, with jaws. It's not always just one, so it can be a little bit more severe depending on location and, and severity. So it can sort of blow things out a little bit um, a little bit longer in terms of fracture healing. I think it's something like um, 50% have two fracture sites when you're getting jaw fractures. So I, I thought that was a little bit interesting when I was speaking to him not that long ago because um, he did um, confraternity cup and he saw one there at Confro and that was um, something that was interesting. I guess Xavier Savage is the interesting one because the – Raiders don't really have a fullback in the wings there that I can see, and I, and I assume it's just going to be Jordan Rappiner that's going to get the job there. So I suppose he's not super attractively priced for standard, but he, he might be someone that can um, give you a reasonable start at your centre wing spot there that's going to cover fullback because historically he does score reasonably well there. Did you have any on, eyes on from an Eels edge player perspective? Yeah, I think uh, Dory, he played, um, and actually he's someone who we're going to talk about later so I can kind of uh, move forward to that one. And, like, he had a pretty significant ankle sprain on the weekend, but one of those lateral low ankle sprains are usually not too severe. So he should still be fine for round one, probably round two at the latest. So I think he just becomes like a lock. I, I, I was kind of a bit to and fro on picking him in my side. But I think now with this Sean Lane injury, Dory just has to be in your side. And we all know how big a fan I am of Jermaine Hopgood. Not that he plays on the edge, but yeah, the more injuries there are in that forward pack, the more locked in Hopgood is. And I think if he, you know, like Madison's not going to be there for the first however many weeks and now Lane isn't either. I reckon by the time they come back, Hopgood's going to have a role nailed down anyway. So those two guys are like locked into my second row now. Now for sure. Yeah, good call. I'm obviously hot good there. He looks like the real deal. He's been very impressive in the trials from what I've seen. Next one, Brian, is about Reese Walsh. He had an eye socket fracture. It seems to be on the milder end of severity there. Was that your take on things from the Broncos report? Yeah, mate. Yeah, so it's a floor of the eye socket fracture, so sort of underneath where the eye sits. It's funny, like we just talk about the varieties of, uh, of, of jaw fractures. Any facial fractures, some can be cleared like within one to two weeks to return. So this is one of those, you know, that potentially you can see guys come back really, really quickly. And, and the Broncos are a bit sort of, uh, you know, careful with their wording in that he will still be assessed for his availability for round one. So it'll be three weeks from the trial game that he suffered it, which is last week through to round one, I think there's a really good chance he plays. Um, provided he hasn't required surgery for it, which means it's kind of, I guess, uh, fulfilled a few criterion that you need to. So it need, the fraction needs to be less than 50% of the of the floor surface. It needs to not be impinging on any you know muscles or nerves or anything like that underneath. So yeah, all the signs are good. I think he'll. I think if not round one, it'd be definitely round two. But yeah, round one's still a really good shot, and I don't think there'll be uh, much, you know, much in, in impact on his performance. 
Yeah, good call. It'll be really interesting to watch for me this year because I think the scope of the Broncos' outcomes, like I said to you earlier, could be quite variable um, depending on the coaching situation there. But on paper, they look the good, don't they, the Broncos? So hopefully for the homer and me, they're going to have a good year. We'll move on to Luke Keery next, though, Brian. So he's been reported in the media as having a jaw knock or a head knock, so no fracture as such, no concussion reported there. A few people have sort of said, oh, yeah, not a worry, um, it'll be right, no no dramas at all. To me, that sounds a little bit more concerning than just a, oh, yeah, she'll be right situation. What's your take on that? Yeah, mate, oh, like, I just think with this kind of stuff, there's just always concern around him copping a blow. Like the, the hesitation I have here is that he copped the, the knee to the head last year, uh, was like, Obviously, failed his HIA, didn't go back out there, but was named to play the next week, but then missed five weeks. You know, like, it's kind of one of those things, and, and it's what I bang on about with concussions and, and you know, people with concussion history all the time. It's just so unpredictable. So, look, it's obviously great, and there's, it, there's it's great news that they kind of haven't diagnosed him with a concussion. There's no fracture there, but they haven't sort of said, yeah, he's suffering from concussion symptoms and all that kind of stuff, but just with his history... I think, yeah, like as much as I'm sure for Kiri's, you know, mental well-being and stuff like that, it's really, really good, you know, probably a positive thing for the coaches and the players and stuff like that to come out and be like, it's no, you know, it's no big deal, he's fine, he's not suffering from anything. I just think from a fan perspective, it's still something that, uh, yeah, look, you know, it obviously there's probably too many fans out there who still sort of downplay the severity of these kind of things. So I think it's a, it, it's probably a good thing to sort of be like, you know, it, it's still something to worry about, even though he hasn't suffered or been diagnosed with a concussion, any blow in around the head, not ideal uh, for anyone, let alone someone with his history. So hopefully he's all good and hopefully no delayed symptoms, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, nice summary, Brian. I agree with you on all those points there. Next people we're going to talk through is Adam Elliott, Edric Lee, and Matt Dory. They were all um, gents who sustained lateral ankle sprains. Looks like Edric is sort of pinned at round three from what I can see on the casualty ward on NRL.com, whereas Dory and Elliott seem to be looking like they're going to be rock and rolling by round one. Um, Do you have any sort of updates timeline wise for those three players, Brian? Yeah, so I think um, Edric is the worst of the lot. Um, and with these lateral ankle sprains, you'll often hear me, and that's where the foot rolls in and stretches those ligaments on the outside. You'll often hear me saying, look, they're not as bad as they look. Um, you know, they like uh, people always like, you know, blow up and be like, oh my God, his ankle turned side on. He's going to be out for months and months and months. Uh, but Edric's probably an example of like probably as severe as it gets outside of like a fracture or something like that. So he's in a boot at the moment. He's probably going to require about a month uh, recovery, which, yeah, for lateral ankle sprains in the NRL, it's probably as severe as it gets because most of them are back if if they don't come back within a week around that, yeah, two to three-week mark at worst, uh, which is probably going to be the case for Dory and Elliot. I think both of them, even though Dory's looked horrible and stuff like that, I think both of them should be fine for round one. It doesn't tend to affect their performance all that much. I think if anybody um, remembers Liam Martin last year, suffered a pretty horrific one. Once again, turned on its side, looked absolutely horrific, but uh, came out the next week and pumped out. I think it was like a 90-point super coach outing in 80 minutes or something like, you know, something ridiculous. So, yeah, they don't tend to affect performance all that much. And, uh, yeah, they players pretty much come back quicker than I'm sure a lot of people would expect. 
Yeah, nice one. I think there wouldn't be anything else I add to that. I guess like the most fancy relevant there is Adam Elliott, and he's not in any doubt of missing round one. But I think he's he's one to watch in that second row position there at the Knights, given that there might be minutes available. And given when he was had his opportunities there last year in the thirteen or that middle full role, he was he was pretty good from a point scoring point of view. So he's one I think come team list, he'll be definitely worth keeping an eye on. Next person, Brian, was Talon May from the Panthers. There, knee hop extension has been reported. No timeline that I could sort of gather here. I'm assuming it's on the lower end of things there that he'll be sort of facing on the sidelines. What's your take on that? Did you see any video of that? Yeah, got the video. It it wasn't the best video, to be honest. It looked like it was a bit of a hyperextension or potentially a collapse sort of towards the inside. I think he's got a suspension um, or something like, you know, there was that thing late last year. That's right, yeah. Like it's carried over to this year, year that's right, yeah crazy so yep. i would say uh, the the initial word out of the panthers is that he should he it's minor and he should be fine so hopefully like with those hyper extensions you can just get that bone bruising which can be pretty painful but usually guys are, are back relatively quickly so as long as he's you know avoided any ligament injury i think he should be sweet yeah good summary there on taylor you're right he is missing till round three with that oh, delayed suspension following um, the incident up here on the Sunshine Coast on the Honey Toast here <laughs> when he would have been getting stuck into a few beers after the grand final that they had um, a couple of years back there. Um, next one, Brian, we're going to talk about Morgan Harper. Good video you got of here, him with a non-contact knee injury. I think um, before we get into the detail there, it opens up an interesting sort of conundrum there for the manly sort of outside backs there because obviously Jason Saab is going to be missing with his ACL reconstruction I think the other people in the casualty would. I think Brad Park has been missing a little bit of time with a head knock. So if Morgan Harper misses time there, they might op- open up an opportunity there for one of the younger players to get a little bit of extended time. What did you think about Morgan Harper's initial mechanism of injury and what he might be facing on the sideline? Yeah, mate, I had um, someone sent me, a, the first I knew about it, someone sent me a tweet. It said, you know, um, non-contact injury looked very typical ACL from, uh, yeah, I can't remember who it was, but someone tweeted that. And I was like, oh, crap. And I went to it. And, of course, you know, you see the non-contact nature and you think, oh, like, you know, a lot of people will be thinking ACL straight away. But, um, you know, if we're going to get really, really specific, one of those ones where, more often than not, with an ACL non-contact injury, guys are going to be planting their foot in the ground to do something in terms of like change direction, deceleration. Their heel is going to drive into the ground as they go to do that. Whereas Morgan Harper, while there was a little bit of direction change, he was kind of up on his toes while he was doing so. There was no real kind of plant into the ground. Look, I could be talking, you know, out my proverbial at the moment and it comes back that he's got an ACL injury, but it just didn't have the typical, um, if we're really breaking it down, it didn't have the typical kind of ACL injury um, mechani- or mechanism that I would expect to see. Um, the video wasn't fantastic in terms of seeing what actually happened at his knee, but I have a suspicion that I sort of saw his patella, his kneecap shift when that happened. So, and that, is, that can happen with those little direction changes, you know, especially when you start a stepping on the on your tippy toes, and you can get like a little bit of instability there at the kneecap. So. I'm pretty hopeful that he's avoided anything major, major. Um, look, a kneecap dislocation can still be pretty nasty and he might need, you know, in the worst case, you can require surgery for that with three to four months out. 
But if it's just a subluxation or something like that, and he did walk off, and he, he didn't seem like not that that's a big thing, but he he walked off not in too much discomfort and those kind of things. So look, I, like I'd be pretty hopeful that you know it, it's not gonna he's not gonna be out for ages, uh, and you know potentially even with you talk about that option for someone getting an extended run I don't know whether that will happen unless like you know someone like a Ben Turbo could come in and only need a couple of weeks to solidify himself because I don't think Harper was really you know doing a bang up job there so he might get someone like a Ben Turbo or something might get a couple of weeks at it um, you know four to six weeks or something like that uh, which might be enough. Yeah, nice summary. I, I agree with you on the mechanism there. It didn't look typical of ACL. It probably looked more like patella shift lateral there or even sublux lateral. But it'll be interesting to see the, what the report says for the Manly team there. And I guess in terms of his expected length of time out, that'll probably create an opportunity there um, maybe for someone. So that'll be a good one to keep an eye on. Next one, Brian, was Justin Olam. He had a forearm fracture. Sounds like a sort of distal radius fracture that he's probably going to need pin and plating, I think, was the initial synopsis there. What do you think timeline-wise for Justin Olam? Yeah, I think, look, at least that six weeks, but probably more around that eight-ish weeks um, for those kind of things, especially that distal forearm. It can be pretty nasty. We've seen a guy like Edric Lee um, get that pinned and plated and came back and then refractured it around the pin and plate as well. So it's not something they tend to take lightly, fractures in that area, especially when it needs a pin and a plate. So, yeah, look, somewhere in that six to eight-week range, so somebody at the Storm is going to get an extended run, so there might be a little, well, potentially there might be a little cheapy there, um, you know, come round one. Yeah, for a period of time there, I think that's a good call. He is Papillon, though, so, you know, they are harder than <laughs> the nails up there when they when they breed them tough. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him go a little bit under there. It would be it would be interesting to see what happens there with Justin Olam. Moving on, Brian, we're going to move to Joseph Suwili'i and um, Billy Kikau, who had concussions from this week. I'd be surprised if they were in down and missing round one, but they obviously need to work their way through the protocols, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. This look, you know, not anything major here. I think the one thing to say is that that's Suwili'i's second concussion um, in the past 12 months, you know, for a young guy or something like that with the Roosters, I guess, tendency to look after their players pretty conservatively when it comes to concussion. Uh, it might be something, you know, come round one that he, uh, like depending on his symptoms and those kind of things. Now, with the way that the Roosters report their injuries, we probably won't hear a lot. Uh, but, yeah, it was just, I, I think, worth mentioning. Kikau, uh, yeah, with two weeks, he's, he's probably more than likely. I don't think he has an extensive history with concussion. And not that Suwili's is extensive, but just being young and two in 12 months, something to note. Yeah, nice one. Next one on the list here, Brian, was Luke Metcalf there from the Warriors. Hamstring tear was the diagnosis there. Mild grade or more moderate? Is he looking at a bit of longer time on the sideline? Nah, significant, yeah. So I think at least moderate grade, but potentially high grade for Metcalf. So I think they're looking at around eight weeks for him, which is, yeah, like a dagger. Like I was pretty keen on watching him play. Uh, And look, he was there and abouts for round one. I think uh, my boy Chance had the inside running for fullback from what it looked like. But uh, yeah, look, I like this. Obviously, just solidifies that for him. And I think, for from your perspective, super coach wise, what do you think about Chance as an option in the centre wing? I think you know, obviously, he's around three hundred grand, and now Metcalf's out, so he's kind of got that, um, you know, got that job for at least around that eight weeks. Is Chance someone you're locking in? Yeah, locked in for sure. I, I don't think you can go past him in, in that position there, Brian. I think you know. 
he's always historically shown a high work rate at the fullback spot. He's in, you know, in that position, he's always going to be a chance of a try here or there. I think, you know, going back home to New Zealand may not be a bad sort of move for chance as well. I think he's always been thereabouts at the Raiders. Um, he was obviously instrumental when they made that run to the grand final too. So he's obviously made, you know, made that role, you know, a good fist in that in the past. I, I think he, he'll be someone that you just have to get in your centre wing spot. I think it's a bit of a no-brainer at this point in time, hey. So, yeah, he'll be one that will be locked and loaded. Next one, Brian, was Royce Hunt, elbow injury at training. I didn't have much more information about this apart from that. Have you heard any extra word about Royce Hunt? Yeah, no, I just wanted to mention it. Um, he's getting scans. Look, elbow injury at training is a bit vague. Most common is like a hyperextension or something like that. So even if it is that, usually you're not looking at a significant time on the sidelines, probably three to four weeks is average. So, yeah, look, it, it could be a bicep rupture as well, which it you know, require a lot longer. Uh, but, yeah, just to wait and see on that one, but just definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, we'll keep the eyes peeled about that one. People will just touch on briefly um, towards the end here, Brian. These are players that have sustained soft tissue strains on sort of like the lower end of severity, which none of these um, players look like they're going to be in doubt for round one. So we'll just go through them reasonably quickly. Dylan Edwards had a hamstring concern. And then with calf concerns, we've got five here on the list. Tarek Sims, Abby Corusel, Luke Brooks, Jack Hetherington from the Knights and favourite of mine, Tavita Pangoy Jr., as we, we know very well. He's a favourite on the Magic Sponge here, but not really looking like doubt for round one for anyone there that I can see. Have you heard anything differently? No, I think uh, probably the one most at risk is Tariq Sims. Uh, just uh, they're saying early rounds for him, so that's potentially, uh, you know, he could miss a round or two. The ones there probably worth mentioning, I guess, or worth keeping on, Dylan Edwards, Sims, Luke Brooks, uh, all have history with soft tissue strains in those areas. So Dylan Edwards' hamstring, Sims had, like, dealt with a calf injury for, you know, what seems like the entirety of the last couple of seasons. And then Luke Brooks, this is his third pretty significant sort of calf injury in the last two years. So, yeah, those three are someone, like, I'm a little bit more hesitant on from a, you know, super coach standpoint. I think with Sims, it probably opens me up a lot more to the guys who are starting on the edge because I know he was someone who was clouding my judgment, sort of being like, oh, Sim's just going to come in and, you know, play on the edge. But I'm like, with those calf injuries hanging around, I'm probably more confident in an Eli Katoa or uh, Trent Loyero. So I think that opens that up um, for me for sure. But, yeah, apart from that, look, you know, you get these little niggles throughout preseason, so I don't think it's anything um, anything too major to worry about. Yeah, really nicely summarised there. I, I totally agree with you about, you know, Eli Katoa and Loyero. I think they're probably guys in standard. I, I think I'm going to go pretty skint at second row just because I think there's a, there's a few good options there in that mid-range that I'm probably happy – to roll a dice, and I'm probably going to go bigger at the halves positions, um, fullback and hooker, I think, is how I'm going to sort of construct my team. Because I think there's there's enough there at second row there that, that although you're not going to go with out-and-out guns, I think there's enough players there that I'm pretty sort of interested in just sniffing around for a little bit and seeing how um, things shake out there. So we'll see how that goes. Very last thing to mention here, though, Brian, was about um, one of the Gold Coast titans like they're called the future titans they're an under 17s team and um the player in in sort of we're going to talk about quickly here it's 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 around a serious neck injury that he sustained and a spinal injury so um the players joseph poenu and 
really bad news there with um, neck fractures and a spinal injury. So I think there's a GoFundMe, and I think you've posted that on your social media page a couple of times. Um, where can people sort of um, find that reference and, and obviously look to contribute there and, and give some help there if they can? Yeah, really sad story. So he's got, you know, neck fractures, devastating spinal injury. Um, you know, it's it's your typical, um, you know, it's going to be a long time before they know exactly how much that's going to affect him in his day-to-day life. Uh, you know, it's usually at least six months, um, potentially longer. I know as well he's a New Zealand citizen, so he doesn't um, qualify for NDIS and those kind of things. So, Look, uh, you know, anyone out there in, rug- in the rugby league community, in any community, uh, you know, we like to help our own. Uh, so jump on, like it's on all of my socials, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, jump on. I've got the link up there to the GoFundMe or just search GoFundMe Joseph Puniu. So that's P-O-U-N-I-U. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Uh, but yeah, Get out there, um, support as much as you can, because for a 17-year-old, um, that's, yeah, really harrowing. And, uh, yeah, we just wish him and his family all the best. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we see hear some good news about him in the coming months. Yeah, cross everything in your body, hey, for, for his future there. I, you know, life-changing stuff, you know, really, really, really awful news to hear, that sort of stuff, you know, in any capacity, whether it's footy-related or you know, life-related, motorbike-related, motor vehicle-related. It's just, you know, they're, they're really horrific sort of things that people have to go through and then obviously their, their wider family networks as well. So hoping for the best there um, for him moving forward. Brian, that's a wrap of the um, the injuries this week. So what we might do is move next into the patron questions. So quickly before we get to the questions, we obviously need to give you a plug for your patron there. So it's patreon.com forward slash NRL physio if you want content, if you want in-depth answers, if you want to sort of get the inside running to the Magic Sponge Invitational Draft League, you know, that's that's where you probably got to be if you're going to be in the running for that sort of stuff and a few little perks around that. So we'll go to the questions, Brian. So question number one is about Ryan Pappenhausen. So the Storm announced that he'll be back around six to eight, round six to eight, that is. Do you think that's a likely range of outcomes there for him? What, what are your thoughts initially on that? Because my initial thoughts were probably more in the unlikely scenario given – you know, when you looked at his initial scan of his knee, it looked like an incomplete jigsaw puzzle almost, didn't it? It was pretty, pretty brutal. I just, I just don't know if six to eight is a is a likely scenario there. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, mate. As much as the initial injury sort of obviously concerned us all, the big thing for me, which makes me think that this might be reaching a little bit, is is just his progress in recent times. I mean, we still we're two weeks out from round one. We don't we haven't even heard that he's back running yet. Uh, he was seen at the trial game the other day with a sleeve, you know, a compression sleeve on his knee. So he's obviously still getting swelling in around that knee and those kind of things. The vibe I get from the Storm is that six to eight is like they're just like hopeful, um, optimistic, you know, that he can come back then. Optimistic probably isn't even the right word, but hopeful. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I think it would be wonderful for him to come back then. I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in that at this point in time. So I think... Uh, you know, like for any Storm fans or anything like that, it's it's definitely something to be hopeful for. And, and the next kind of, you know, month in and how he progresses through those, I guess, training different stages as he starts to get back to running, change of direction, all that kind of stuff will really dictate how realistic that round six to eight is. But yeah, if he's still getting swelling, uh, you know, still needing to wear a compression bandage, you know, that could be psychological as well to give him a bit of confidence. I'm not really sure. 
But, yeah, I just think round six to eight sounds about the very best case at this point in time. And then, yeah, I, like I'd be more looking in the in the tens to teens kind of uh, a range at this stage is where my gut kind of says. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you reckon that's sort of where you sit? And then from a, you know, super coach perspective, I think Nick Meaney's probably the big talking point, hey? Yeah, absolutely. I think Nick Meany is someone you need to consider. I think in a draft format, you've got to get your eyes on Nick Meany. I think he's going to be very, very solid value there at the Storm. He scored very consistently there as a goal-kicking fullback for the Melbourne Storm. I mean, you can't really go wrong there, can you? That's always been a, a very, very, very lucrative fantasy position. So I think Nick Meany's a no-brainer. I think in, in standard, he is quietly priced. So I think you've you got to make a decision on whether you roll him there or whether you roll with probably one of the bigger, you know, halves or five-eighths. But I guess that's just personal preference and how you want to sort of construct your team, whether you go big in the centre-wing spot or if you find a few more players that are of cheaper value there. Um, I do agree with you in terms of the time frame. There's just so much unknown with Havenhausen, is there? I can't recall a time where I've just felt less decisive about someone's return to to play time frame, Brian. I think, and that's the tricky thing about this whole situation, is everyone's hoping for the best, but I think you need to be realistic that it, it may well be a little bit more extended than around sort of six to eight sort of scenario. I my gut sort of tells me it will be a sort of a more of a mid-year thing. And, and even then, I, I don't know if the Storm ease him back in, if they sort of play him off the bench. I, I really don't know what that looks like. So that'll be a situation that will be very, very interesting to watch unfold. But obviously, as a footy fan, and I know he's a, he's a personal favourite of yours, we want to see him back on the field and doing his thing, don't we? He's just oh, he's electric yeah. to watch when he's in full flight. So fingers crossed to him, it is more that six to eight sort of round mark. And um, he can be back doing his thing and, and ripping and tearing on the rugby league field as we, as we love him. Um, to do. So hopefully that's the case for Pappenhausen. Next question, Brian, was about Cameron Munster. He's been diagnosed with osteotis pubis. Are you discounting him much from a fantasy football perspective because of that diagnosis? No, not really. Um, he played through it for much of last season and we didn't know about it. So this is another one of those situations where, you know, teams keeping stuff close to the chest. So he played through it for much of last se- at the end of last season. We didn't know about it and I did the injury profiles. He suffered I think it was... Look, there was something, I think maybe even a rib cartilage injury he was dealing with towards the end of the year, and he scored better at the end of the year than he did you know, for the rest of the season. So it obviously didn't knock him around too much. Probably, you know, coming off the World Cup, a shortened preseason, potentially he might lack a bit of fitness in the legs and those kind of things because he would have had to manage his training loads with that osteitis pubis. But, yeah, I think with Pappy out, he's going to have to take on more responsibility. So I'm still, yeah, like very confident on Cam Munster. I'm I'm sure you'd be the same. Yeah, first 5'8 off the board in draft for me, I think. He, he's a bit of a no-brainer. He won't be someone that I'm starting with in standard just because of his price point. I think there's other better options that we mentioned last week. I'm sort of probably leaning towards the Adam Dewey and Matt Burton combo, I think, at this stage. But um, we'll obviously reveal that next week when we um, reveal our teams to the wider audience here. Okay. Question number three, Brian, was about Connor Watson. Will he potentially be able to come back this year? I think when I initially saw his injury, which I still haven't sort of seen a lot of detail about, the, the word was he was going to be missing the whole season. Is it a scenario there where Connor Watson may play in 2023? Oh, mate. Like, the biggest thing here is he's come out and said that's what he's aiming for. So, like, I can't count him out at this stage. The, the hardest thing with those patella tendon ruptures is that it is, like, it and Achilles would have to be the most commonly occurring injury 
with the hardest rehab that we see. Uh, like I've worked, you know, many a patient through those kind of injuries and they just like give me an ACL any day of the week over a, a big tendon injury. So I think like six months of those kind of things is very best case. And apparently the surgeon who did Watson's surgery was very confident, uh, was happy with how the surgery goes. But I mean, find me any surgeon who in history who hasn't been happy <laughs> with how yeah, surgery exactly. has gone when they come out. Like I've never had a patient come to me and be like, oh yeah, I came out and the surgeon said to me, yeah, it didn't really go so well. So he's thinking more like nine months rather than six months because the surgery wasn't so great. Like they're always optimistic and and those kind of things. I think even if he does come back this season, it, it, it look he'd be he'd blow me away if he performed really really well. I mean, we have had you know guys from an Achilles standpoint come back and perform really really well, but we just haven't had that from a patella tendon standpoint. We had Royce Hunt; he was looking to come back at around five and a half months. Apparently, was aiming for it and had massive setbacks in his rehab and ended up taking like eight nine months to get back, which looked you know, isn't, is with still within the regular realms of what you would expect for that kind of injury. But uh, the fact that he was aiming, you know, for around that five and a half, six months, and then just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and didn't end up coming back to later in the season. It just shows you the nature of these kind of injuries. Setbacks can be really, really common. Uh, so yeah, he could be back this year, but I'd be shocked if it's uh, at any sort of performance level. I think, um, yeah, look, I, like I just think it's from twenty twenty four for Connor Watson in terms of uh, in terms of his performance. Certainly, he might sneak back in at the end of the year, but uh, yeah, more twenty twenty four for him. Yeah, twenty seven weeks regular season this year, isn't it? So it oh, is a the, long yeah, season. That, so yeah. it, yeah, look it. It might be, I suppose, but I'd probably put my money against rather than for. So it would be at the very back end. So he's probably not somebody who's going to be fantasy relevant, I wouldn't say. But, yeah, there is that sort of that extra timeline this year with the um, with the footy season being a little bit longer. But I still think that probably, just given the timing of his surgery, I'd still be surprised if we see him sitting up for the Roosters this year. So very last question from patron here, Brian, is about Tom, Tom Tarojevic. And it's just a vibe question. How are you feeling about him? In standard, in draft, he's still about him. He's still on board with Tommy Trevojevic, friend of the Magic Buns podcast. I don't think I'll ever be not about him, James. Uh, well, that's right. <laughs> I love a vibe it question. It was a rhetorical question. In case uh, yeah. I, love, I love a vibe question. So thank you for the patron who sent this in. Uh, yeah, look, love him. Uh, like, the if you read the injury profiles, you would have seen that I said yes, his injury risk in terms of hamstrings are probably the highest it's been in the last three years, but he's obviously gone over, done some really, really, you know, new stuff, uh, sorted out his head particularly as well, his confidence around that kind of thing. I just think in classic you cannot pass him up. Like you you cannot add his price if you start he should be a hundred percent owned. He should be a hundred percent owned because if he gets injured, then you've only you, you're only burning one trade to get rid of him, right? It's only one trade out. But if you do not start with him and he starts hot, you're burning a trade to bring him in, and then if he gets injured, you burn another one to get rid of him, and you've just wasted your time. You've missed out on the points that you're chasing to try and get him into your team, and then you've wasted two trades. So. I just think he has to go there. 
And, I mean, we'll talk about it in a second, but I think he's just a locked and loaded pick three for me in draft. I think there's a few other concerns that are even more significant in my mind um, without the upside uh, for Turbo, uh, the guys below him. So I think after Cleary and uh, Hines go, I think Turbo's got to go three. What, what about you, mate? How are you feeling about Turbo? Surely you're on board with me. Yeah, I'm in the same lane as you, Brian. I'm I'm never anything different there. We're both we're both on the bandwagon there for sure. So I think in the um the invitational draft league we're doing, so I got um picked ten in that. Where I think in that in that league, actually Turbo got scooped up at seven, and I nearly spat out my pina colada because I wouldn't believe that he lasted to pick. What seven are the magic sponge and... listeners doing, mate? Like the, all yeah, we do is I sit know. here and talk about Turbo yeah. all the time and how much we love him. And then we get a whole I bunch know. of them in a league, and they let him drop to seventh. Yeah, regret seventh. City, unfortunately. So, yeah, a bit a bit of a shame that he was at seven and I was at ten because after pick seven or eight in draft, my goodness, there is a drop off to absolute oblivion <laughs> after that. I just I remember getting to pick 10 after I'd had a few under my belt and um, nearly wanting to delete the app and restart it because I was very, very, very upset that I was at pick 10 and missing it on the, the cream of the crop, I suppose you could say. So I guess if you're in a, in a draft format, you do not want to be anywhere past pick eight. In my opinion, I think you've got to be up there to get um, some of the good values. So I went with Matty Burton. And again, I sort of was a coin flip here between him or Adam Dewey. I sort of just went with Burton just because I think the Canterbury – Attack will probably roll through him quite a bit more. I think on that edge with Kikau and Josh Adokar, I, I see a reasonable amount of points there. And I think the Bulldogs will be much improved this year just with the general makeup of their squad. But it was a coin flip. I think a lot of the um, attacking stats roll through um, Adam Dewey as well for the Tigers. So that's the way I went at pick 10. Not super happy about it, but I just didn't really sort of see a a sort of better option there, if you know what I mean. I, yeah. I sort of was a little bit stuck with, oh, it's all a bit mid in here, and I I didn't really have a good um, feeling either way. I really wanted to pick Burton in the hope that Jerome Hughes or Sam Walker would fall my way, but neither of them fell back. So I'm going to be picking at um, pick 19 again, I think is my next pick, and I'm not feeling too good about it because there's not a great amount left there, unfortunately. So um. Yeah, a bit of a shame from that point of view. Who's your who's your pick been so far in that competition? Because I think you had pick 12, yep. I believe, was it? Yeah, mate. If pick 10 is dire, pick 12, not great. But yeah. I say that, I got my boy. I got Adam Dewey. Dewey, sorry. Adam Dewey, my you know pick of the year, my buy of the year. I love it. Dewey in pick one in round one. I haven't got to do it. I've done about three drafts so far, and I haven't got to do it yet. Pick him in round one, like I said, I would. I've done it in this league because why not? Uh, at at twelve, mate, there was nothing. There, like especially yeah. the way we've got this set up. Like I was like, and and I'm picking next as we talk about this live. So it's at pick sixteen. So I got pick seventeen. All the guys who I was considering at pick twelve are still there. And I'm just like, there is not a lot. Like Cam Murray, yeah, he's going to be good, but in a 14-team league, we're only starting a cut like two second rowers. So I'm like, is that really the difference maker that I want? I could go a Scotty Drinkwater, a Ruben Garrick, you know, those kind of guys. I'm not on Mitchie Moses. I love Val Holmes. That would be a little 
heart pick if I went down there. Yeah. Yeah, there's just there's just a fair bit of, you know, it, it doesn't feel like an early second round pick. You know what I mean? Like most years and we do a draft every year, you know, you look at that early second round pick and you're like, I am getting just a difference maker. Like I'm getting yeah. a massive, you know, massive winner here. But it just feels like a whole bunch of blah. I'd much rather have an early round an early round pick this year, I think, and then get um, you know, uh, 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 on the two three turn. Uh, so yeah, if there's anyone out there listening who gets to choose their draft pick, try and try and get in that top five or six. Oh yeah, get as high as you possibly can just to just to get that one worldy because the drop off is just it's so stark after you get past pick seven or eight, isn't it? Unfortunately, so yeah, that's that was a bit of a bit of a shame, but. I think, Brian, in terms of other things to talk through, I think we'll talk through the Magic Bunch Invitational Draft League. So I think that's a wrap-up for this week. So obviously I'll pass back to you there because I don't think there's any other things we needed to sort of speak about or go through. No, mate, I think that's it. I think we'll obviously uh, keep people informed because everybody's, you know, super interested in other people's fantasy comps, I'm sure. But, uh, no, we'll keep everyone informed on the uh, on the draft league during the year because we consider ourselves pretty, uh, you know, pretty fanatical about that kind of thing. So we'll see how we go against the patrons. Uh See if we can pull out a win. You as our super coach expert, gee, I've been talking you up in that group chat, mate. The, if you don't, if you don't do well, the you know the reputation of the podcast is on the line. That's right. I mean, I'm, I'm preparing myself for an absolute rinse cycle through the washing machine <laughs> if I go poorly this year. So thanks for setting me up for high expectations there and low output. So that could be very, very bad for my prospects in 2033, Brian. So thanks for the stitch up. Love it, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to go through our team reveals for Supercoach Classic. So, once again, you're talking to the guy who came 63rd in Supercoach Classic last year in myself. And then we're talking to the Supercoach expert on the podcast, James. So, a guy who came 63rd, not even the Supercoach expert. It's you, mate. So, if we combine our powers, surely we're going to get someone onto a winner next week. Well, like I said last week, Brian, you're only as good as your ranking says you are. So <laughs> your your good blokeness is determined by your ranking. You've obviously become a better bloke than I have over the 2022 season by ranking much higher than me. So we'll have to combine our good blokeness and get higher. I love it. I love it, mate. No, we'll be back next week. Uh, yeah, if you want anything more, uh, look, the injury profiles are still up. They're, they're at patreon.com slash general physio. Get on board. There's 250 players. Everything you need to know is in there. And if it isn't in there and there's something that's happened since then, it will be on Patreon. I've written five or six articles in the last sort of week and a half about different things. Adam Elliott with his groin surgery that he had, which we only found about recently. I wrote an in-depth deep dive on dive on Cameron Munster, uh, talking about Paps and his return date, all those kind of things. So all, the, all those big injury news they get big write-ups on how it relates to their performance their super coach scoring fantasy scoring all that kind of stuff so yeah guys otherwise have a great week uh and up the mighty red cliff dolphins suspected broken left fibia suffering syndesmosis after that stem cell injury that he's come back from that's about it mate